0: Singing this song just reminded of how great it is to be loved by God. Um, it's not just a Sunday facade. I mean, when we sing these words, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross, and yet we're we're greatly loved by a Father that is sufficient. Right, and that's if anything, if everything, that's the reason to sing today. Let's try that again. God is good, all the time. and all the time. God is good. Amen. Well, like Pastor Y said, um, I'm the exported Korean guy here. Came here a couple years ago, um, so it's just, it's great to be here. It's an honor to stand here before you guys. I said this in the first service, uh, but it's a privilege. Um, I feel I feel greatly honored to share the word of God with uh, my Epiphany family, and I don't just say that to say it. I consider Epiphany uh, my second home, uh, brothers and, and sisters in Christ, and spiritual fathers and mothers that are here uh, today just to celebrate this moment Um, but yeah let's get into the word the the scripture for today is Romans 12 Romans 12 chapter 9 9 through 13 if you don't have a Bible you could just read along with us on the screen and uh, as custom for for us at Epiphany we could just all rise and read uh, the word of God together and then we'll dive in I'll start us off and then you guys continue. Verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Amen. The title for today's sermon is Proof of Authentic Life in Jesus. Proof of Authentic Life in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are with us. God, we thank you that it's based upon the work, life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Father, there are things that you're calling us to do as believers. For Lord, it's never just something that we say, but Lord, there are defining characteristics of what it means to be Christian. So Father, would you pierce our hearts, God, for the body of Christ? Would you remind us, would you compel us and convict us of the fact that there are things, there are expectations that you have of us as believers, and that's not to own or, or, or to earn salvation, Lord, that's to reveal the salvation you've given us. So Lord, be with us today. Lord, we ask that your words will be spoken with clarity, that your truth will be revealed, that eyes would see and ears would hear your word and your word only. And it's in the mighty Son's name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Amen. In practically every facet of of humanity, there are defining characteristics, right, that identify who you are on every level, every level. You can look at uh, ethnic distinctions, right, based upon how you look. You can tell that you are from different places right cultural associations affiliations that you have just look at old pictures via Facebook or if y'all know what yearbooks are right (laughs) look at the yearbooks look at your hairstyle look at the clothes that you wear it marks the decade that you grew up in right for us to look at it now and say oh my goodness what happened right but at that time that identified with what we identified with it was explicit it was external on every look at sports fans you know, I'm from Maryland, so I know we're in Philly, so, you know, don't throw the stones, but I would never wear anything Eagles. <laughs> Nothing. Why? Because I would never want to associate myself with anything Eagles. I love Pastor Kurt, right? It, it, it reveals your identity on some level, right? On, on sports, military, you could tell what branch of military you are based upon what you wear, your rank based upon what you wear. Uniforms define who you are. It's explicitly said and shown. Amen? And what Paul is saying here is if you claim to be a believer, right, if you claim to be in union with Christ in his death and resurrection, there are explicit characteristics about who you are that would define you as a believer. You're never a believer just in your mind. Amen. All right? You're never a believer based upon your, your, your cognitive notions or your intuition. It's always meant to be explicitly shown in how you live, right? Now, that may sound basic, but how often do we fall short when it comes to, oh my goodness, you're you're a Christian I didn't know, (laughs) right? Ask the people at your workplace, ask your family. Would they define you as a believer? And Paul is saying clearly here that there are marks of Christianity that we have to acknowledge. So, going with point one. Let's go to verse 9. Genuine love is foundational to the realities of an active, maturing faith. Genuine love is foundational to the realities of an active, maturing faith. He says here, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Let's look at let love be genuine. What he's establishing here is that first and foremost, this is the foundational piece by which you build everything that he says from this point on. This is the resonating point in which if this is not established, if this is not solidified, none of these other points can exist or even make sense. All right? Genuine love is what establishes these works. It's like if, if I'm applying to be a lifeguard and I say, hey, I can do CPR, I'm great with kids, right? I, I love getting tans, I love sitting at a higher chair, I don't know why it's so high, but it's there. But you know what? I don't really like water. I just you know there's something about that. I don't like I can't swim, but everything else I can do. Would I ever get that job? Absolutely not, right? Because what is foundational is my engagement with people that are drowning in water. <laughs> love being genuine is exactly that. If you can't love genuinely, if it's not authentic, you will never establish what Paul is saying. He's literally saying it's a sincere love. It's a love without pretense. It's to love without hypocrisy. Right. And the word here, love, is agape, right? agape. Agape love is the most ultimate form of love because it embraces, it embodies self-sacrifice. Right. The only type of genuine love established in the word is reflected in and through Christ. Right. So anything that is apart from that is not genuine. Let me say it again. Anything that's apart from understanding and knowing and being in union with Christ is not genuine. Then does that mean unbelievers don't know how to love? No. But they cannot maximize the fullness of what God has intended when it comes to loving genuinely. And even though there's, there's hospitable actions or, or things that non-Christians can do or, take, or partake in that exude these characteristics, it ultimately is not a form of worship. Right? Because it ends with them. Right? So love that is genuine has to be based upon the word of God. Word of God, the fellowship of believers, consistency in prayer. Now, these, these backbones of Christianity we all know, but we, we almost refuse to really allow to manifest in our life. And if you do that, you can just kick out the door that your love will just not be genuine. It is to engage the Word of God. It's like this. Summertime is coming. And if I'm working out, I would never say, hey, I'm going to go eat pizza after I work out because I need my protein right now yes pizza will provide protein but it also provides other things that negate the protein that it provides right it's an illegitimate source of what I need same thing with the Word of God this is it right here if you don't have nutritional value what you think is genuine is actually not right? and you'll be sluggish you won't grow you'll be malnourished and ultimately you'll negate all the work that you're trying to quote unquote do so let love be genuine, because the existence of anything genuine is only defined by its source. So ask yourself, what are you basing your, your, your genuine authenticity? If you're not reading the word, there's no way you can be genuine. That's just simply put: if, in fact, you are Christian, right? Now there's two warnings. First is this: to never make our love a pretense. To make love an external display or mere emotion is to taint the very nature of who we are in Christ, right? This agape love is is not an external facade. It's not something that we put on to show that we're, in fact, genuine about our love. Love is deeper than that, right? And again, that's why it's so important to touch upon the love of Christ and a gospel reality because that empowers and enables us to, in fact, love in a genuine manner, right? Because all of these practical realities are touched upon a a renewal of our minds. Paul talks about it in verse 1 and 2, right? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be renewed by the what? Or be, yeah, be transformed by the renewal of our mind, because now we are activated. We have the capacity to understand the things of God through the Holy Spirit, and this is the practical reality, to love genuinely. And let me say this, and we'll just move on Failure to love others is indicative of a false love for God. Failure to love others is indicative of our false love for God. Because if you say you love God and you can't love others, you don't know Jesus. You don't. It's impossible to claim that you are a lover of Christ and yet not love those that are around you. Jesus is teaching It was foundationally based upon, look at Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Love, agape love. Let it be self-sacrificial. To understand Christ is to love others. So don't tell your pastors, don't tell the people around you that you're so in love with Christ and you can sing all the harmonies and you can do this, 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 and that when it comes to the things of Christianity, and yet you negate your love for the neighbor. You don't even know the person next to you. That you refuse to engage in the heart, on a heart level, on a familiar level that we'll talk about because you refuse to do so. You don't love Christ. And if God is speaking to you now, praise God. Amen. Because it's a challenge that we're all called into and we're enabled by in and through the gospel. When he talks about abhor what is evil and hold fast what is good he's saying that the pillars of genuine love is to hate exceedingly what is evil and to cling to what is good now now as believers that that sounds pretty you know christianity 101 obviously we're supposed to hate the things of evil and cling to what is good right Right? but how often do we fall short of that on on a minute to minute level all right i was going to go look at the past month no on on today's level how often do we fall short in that Right? because these things that we claim to be biblical truths can never just be ideals. Yeah. Right? This love genuinely peace, the entire scriptures, when we look at it and we read it and say, ah, that's a, that's a, that's a good idea. That's an ideal that I need to strive. No, what God is saying, that this fully manifests in who we are because we're believers enabled to see and to hear the word of God being made alive because of the Holy Spirit. So these are not just ideals. These are meant to be manifest truths that are shown in your life, right? Let me say this, because a good word is not good unless it's applied. A good word is not a word that you just write down. A good word is only revealed when it's applied in your life. And the beauty of it is that we've been enabled. Pastor, he talked about it last week. We have everything that we need when it comes to pertaining to godliness. So there's no excuse when we cling to what is good, that's when we increase in our hatred for what is evil because hatred is only valid or healthy for that matter when it's directed towards evil. But how often is it directed to other things? When we grow in our health, when it comes to the things of God, when we cling to what is good, when we remind ourselves and we engage in the things that God has given us with the word of God, fellowship of believers, prayer, that's when we begin to understand how great and how awesome it is to cling to what is good and to reject what is evil. And the beauty of this is this. This means that love has direction. We it, it, it has a direction. It has a focus. That means it involves intention, purpose, and discipline. Genuine love does not lead you astray. It actually recalibrates your mind and your heart, your entire being to the things of God. Right? So a litmus test to see whether or not you are hating what is evil or loving the right stuff if it's aligned with scripture and is calibrating who you are with the things of God, that you're growing in love with God based upon what you're clinging to. Now, if you're clinging to the things that are leading you astray, that's a red flag that's saying that's evil. You don't need a theology degree to understand that. (laughs) What is evil is what takes you away from engaging with the mind and heart of God. Second point is this: the disposition of a Christian toward other believers is be, is built upon sacrifice and humility. Verse, uh, verse ten: Love one another with brotherly affection; outdo one another in showing honor. Brotherly affection. We're, we're in the city of Philadelphia, and that's exactly what it is: the love of brothers. But how lacking is that often? when you talk about the body of Christ in general, right? See, what Paul is saying here is we need to engage people on a familial level, right? It's an engagement to say, I am committed to you because you are committed to me, right? You can't pick it. I said this in the first gathering, and, I, and I'll say this again. I love my younger sister. I love my parents. But there are days when I'm just like, I wish I was in a different family, <laughs> Right? the issues that come up, right? all the crises that arise from dysfunction. But the bottom line is I can't pick my family, right? They are who they are, right? In the same way, it is no partiality when it comes to who you are committed to. He's saying be committed to one another, the body of Christ. Don't show partiality. It is our it is a decree, it is a mandate for believers. To love one another, not on a like level, but on a love, genuine agape level. So brotherly affection, the familial feel. And the way to characterize that is simple. Right? It is devotion, it is commitment, it is consistency in how we engage one another. Right? Why do you think we promote life groups? Why do you think you can't do Christian life on your own? It's never meant to be individualized. Because if it's meant to be individualized, then you're the center, you're the crux of Scripture. And that's just not the case. We, we, we are being redeemed unto, God is redeeming creation unto himself, and we're a part of that. You're not the center of creation, right? It is so crucial for us to understand that it's never just about you, right? But the beauty of it is that we receive individual benefits that come about on a corporate basis setting, and level. That's why it's so important for you to engage one another. Be intentional. Be the weird one. Hey, let's get together. We just got together last week. Well, let's get together again. I need to with you what God is doing in my life. Be willing to look that way for the sake of tapping into the very nature of what God has ordained for you to be a part of. This is a beautiful statement. Outdo one another in showing honor. What God is saying is this. There's no competition when it comes to the kingdom of God. Kingdom economics refute that. But he's saying if you want to be competitive on one thing, it's this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Right? What that means is this, to be quick and eager to recognize and give credit where credit is due upon other believers. We ought to prefer each other for honor. It's to not seek it ourselves, but rather to reflect or deflect honor to others. Again, this is not a biblical ideal. It seems idealistic or it seems like an abstract. Why? Because how many times do we outdo one another in order to gain and seize honor? Right? How often do we work within the church, outside of the church, to be recognized and known for who we are? You know what? The best way to see this is if you're so upset because people are not recognizing you based upon every single thing that you do for quote-unquote God. Your credibility is not based upon the praise of man. However, when you are loving God genuinely and you are committed to the community genuinely, honor will be bestowed before you. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's a call to humility. Simply put. Philippians 2.3 says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Count people greater than you. Even if you don't think that's the, that's the case. All right? <laughs> Let that resonate. Let that resonate. You know why? Because that practice of understanding will, will, will decease because when you recognize the equality that exists within the body of Christ, because it's solely based upon one thing, union with Christ, union with Jesus. Not your skill set, not your gifting, not how you, you know, rock whatever you wear. It is based upon union with Jesus. And when you recognize that is, the, that is the credential, only credential that exists when it comes to the gospel reality, then you're able to lift one another up. Because it's not based upon whether or not you're better than me. There is equality amongst the believers. Point three The attitude of a Christian towards the work of God is active. Is active. Verse eleven. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Now, these things are not independent from one another, so let's break it down. And knowing that they're not mutually exclusive, do not be slothful in zeal It's basically saying, do not be lazy in your pursuit of what is good. Don't be lazy. Christians are meant to be workers, simply put. You should be striving for excellence. You should be contending for the things of God that are good, right? When you look again, based upon verse 1 and 2, You can test the will of God, what is good, pleasing, and perfect based upon the renewal of our mindset and that transformation existing because of the foundations of the gospel, right? And so when we look at that, we're not meant to be lazy. We're not meant to be idle, right? We're not meant to be idle. And to be zealous for the things of God in every area of our lives is ultimately is to resist the call to complacency, right? If we're lazy... If we're idle, if we're willing to embrace that, what we're essentially saying is this, I'm okay with not tapping into the maximizing power of what God has ordained in my life. Our laziness takes us us away from the very nature of who God has ordained you and me to be as a son and daughter of God. This idea where Christianity is just about this receiving nature and It's a one-time deal and I'm good. That's such a false, ridiculous idiocy because ultimately that that type of deception keeps you away from your identity, right? You should be contending for the things of God. You should be busy about the things of God, not being a busy body, but constantly engaging with the word of God, the things that God is leading you to do on a day-to-day level, the will of God is not you, who you're going to be five years from now, ten years from now. The will of God is supposed to be manifest today, right? Today. That is what it means to engage on a consistent level. Do not be slothful in zeal. And the beauty of this is, is, is this. You being set on fire by the Holy Spirit, that, that's that fervent in spirit, in order to be convicted and passionate about godly things. And more so that this, this, this fervent spirit being set ablaze, this passion and conviction of the things of God, is never meant to be a wildfire, right? It's ultimately supposed to be manifest in serving the Lord, right? Pastor, you talked about it last week. Self-control is unleashing passes in its proper context, right? And so when you look at what it means to be passionate, what it means to not be slothful, what it means to be set on fire for God, it's supposed to be shown and exuded, exemplified in how you serve the Lord. Passion in and of itself is not just screaming and, and, and raising your hands and, and all these things on a Sunday morning. God is saying, you want to be passionate? You want to know me? You want to maximize your identity as a believer? It's meant to be shown in how you serve God. And all the things that we talked about, that's meant to be in how you serve the church how you love people, how you exemplify Christ, how you are a revelation of the gospel in every part of your daily life, family, work, relationships. That's passion. Passion is never careless or chaotic. It has direction. It has order. That's how you're passionate, serving the Lord well. The Christian life is never dull. It's never dull, it's meant to be lived out with excitement. Moving on to the next. The character of a Christian towards life circumstances is unwavering. He says this, um, verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, just like the previous point, rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, and consistency in prayer are knit together. What? Because tribulation and hope are bound for eternity. Or not for eternity, until we see Christ. Because right? tribulation, God uses that to produce a virtue of hope. Right? As Christians, our hope is not only in simply today, but that's not to neglect the hope that we have today. Right? Being in union with Christ in his burial and resurrection, that should establish hope today. Victory for today. But it also launches a trajectory of what is to come in the future. And so when we go through trials and tribulations, hardships in life, we can look to a day to come and say there is hope, a promise from God that is established by who God is and not our circumstances. Right? That's why when he says rejoice in hope, He immediately says be patient in tribulation because tribulation, trials, is not the end-all be-all. It is actually to produce a greater reality of the hope that you claim to have, right? And the source of that is this, is to be constant in prayer. Now, if we were to take a test, everybody would say, yeah, prayer is important. But let me say this, prayer is important, right? (laughs) And it will never be cultivated instantaneously, it is a discipline. Talk with anybody who has a healthy prayer life. Yes. Anybody. They grew into it. It was a progression. It was work. Yes. Now, there are moments where we're just in with God. Worshiping, prayer, 30 minutes, hour, two hours, four hours. However, it is a consistency, it is a dedication yes. to the practice of prayer so that discipline will lead you to greater affections of who God is. Yes. Discipline is not legalism. Let's just, let's just get that clear. Legalism is establishing your self-righteousness based upon what you do or don't do. Discipline allows you to partake in the very nature of who you are, and it grows and matures you. Pastor Kurt talked about a few weeks ago. Works don't save, but they grow you. They grow you into acknowledging the greater existence of God in your life. And when it says to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, it's what it's saying is contribute to the material needs of the believers that are struggling. Okay? Hospitality, when you take a spiritual uh, gifts test and it's on the lower end, you say, oh, it's okay because I got other gifts. No. (laughs) Hospitality is a decree from God because it exemplifies you being a Christian. And it says to seek it out. Not when it comes and it's like, ah, fine, here's, you know, 50 cents. You know, oh, 75, you can get a bag of chips. It says to seek it out. Be intentional about it. You know what that taps into? The fact that even though you may be going through trials, it's not a convenience. Let me say that again. It's not a convenience. When you're in the midst of trial, God is still saying, seek out opportunities to show hospitality. Seek out opportunities to contribute to the needs of your so-called brother and sister. Why do you think it's so important to love genuinely? Because if you don't love genuinely, there's no way that you could even want to contribute or even want to seek out hospitality. Housing people, that's, that's what it means. Hospitality was used here for travelers, believers, missionaries. And Paul is saying, we're using this as a means for them because they don't have money. The gospel was dependent on hospitality. So you see how important it is to God. Now, we may not be, in the sense, housing people. Actually, we do, right? But more so, your, your, your mindset of what it means to love people. How do people define you? Are you hospitable? I mean, do you seek it out? Or, or people know you as, ah, Nah, Danny's greedy. Danny's a Christian? What? <laughs> These are marks of Christianity. This is what defines us as believers. I'll close with this. I was in, um, I was in Turkey for about a week and a half. And uh, it was an incredible trip. Uh, and w- one of the, 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 the greatest parts was toward the end where we talked with a, a Catholic Franciscan priest in Turkey right, which is 99.9% Muslim. They, they define it as a secular state, but it's, it's Muslim, okay. We talked with a Franciscan priest, we talked with an Eastern Orthodox father, and we talked to a Presbyterian church <laughs> planner. I've ne- I never thought that that would exist. Do you know what the commonality between all three of those, those people were? Two things. Number one, the greatest evangelistic tool, the greatest way to engage the Muslim nation of Turkey is to authentically know Christ and to live it out. That's what draws Muslims into what it means to proclaim Christ as Lord. Authentic life that's being lived out. The second was relationships. When they see a community that is healthy, that is thriving, when they see Christians doing the things that we just talked about, they cannot help but deny that the power of, of not the power of God on a holistic level, revealed in and through the gospel, is actually the truth. Those were the two things, not just theology, not just doctrine, all those things are absolutely important. But theology was always meant to be lived out, never just meant to be crept in your mind. Theology by nature is understanding scripture, why? So that you can live it out and have it manifest in your life. Don't get fed upon the word if you're not working it out. Be men and women that are willing to contend for these things and be defined by how Christ has called us to be. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you are gracious and compassionate. Father, thank you, Lord that you are the sustainer and the source of all these things. Lord, help us as a body of Christ that we will be defined by biblical truths and not what we think is right. Forgive us, Lord, and we thank you that you are the forgiver. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.